Hello and welcome to Build Momentum, where we make PR easy for education organizations. This show was created to help edtech startups, research institutes, and schools learn how to develop simple, replicable PR strategies and how to execute on those strategies. I'm your host, Sarah Williamson, and I've spent the past 15 years working in PR, where I've been able to understand what works and what does it when it comes to making an impact. I will share my tips for success and interview others who have done the same to provide you with a framework that you can use within your own organization. Be sure to grab my free guide, How to Create a Killer Case Study, even if you don't have data, at casestudy.swpr-group.com. That's casestudy.swpr-group.com. And on today's episode, we have an opportunity to talk with Cheryl Vido, the former CEO of Apex Learning, an online learning company dedicated to providing digital curriculum for schools and districts across the country. As a software engineer, marketer, and executive for computer companies, including Digital Equipment Corporation, Apollo Computer, and Sun Microsystems, Cheryl experienced impact of innovation technologies across industries. It was at Apple in 1992 as the head of the K-12 education division that she first became involved with technology and education. That experience sparked in Cheryl a passion to help educators integrate technology to create new solutions to the challenges confronting schools today. She worked for several different startups and education technology companies. And then in 2002, Cheryl joined Apex Learning as president and CEO. Cheryl led Apex Learning's efforts to help schools make learning more accessible, relevant, and effective for today's students until November 2019 when she retired. But she still remains on the board for Apex today. Cheryl, it's such a treat to reconnect with you since you've left Apex and also to have you on my podcast today. Welcome. Thank you, Sarah. It's such an honor to have this opportunity to talk with you. Yes. So I know I shared your career history, which is very impressive, but I would love for you to tell my listeners your story about the early days at Apple and your literal overnight transition to leading the ed division. Will you share more about that? As you know, Sarah, I got into the education sector quite by accident. It was a very fortunate accident, but I had left Sun Microsystems to join Apple in a product marketing role. And just two weeks after I joined Apple, the company reorganized and eliminated my position altogether. By some chance, I was asked to run the K-12 business for the U.S., which shocked me at the time. It seemed really inconsistent with my background, but it sounded like a great opportunity. It was an important aspect of Apple's business. In fact, Apple was at that time absolutely a leader in K-12. So, and this goes way back, obviously, losing its market share to IBM at the time. You can believe it when we think about the world today. But I was very fortunate to have that opportunity. This was an opportunity unlike any other because, as I said, Apple was the leader in K-12 through at the time. And I was able to work with some of the best minds in educational technology. And those are the people I learned about not only education from and K-12 through and what schools were like. But I also learned about the potential for education to really change in terms of teaching and learning through the use of technology. And as you noted earlier, I became very passionate about the potential for change and improvement for both teachers and students in K through 12. Yeah, I love that story. All of a sudden, overnight, you're running an entire education division and your career trajectory completely changed. Such a positive way. I love that story. Yes, it completely changed. And I've always said it was the most fortunate accident in my career. Absolutely. 
So Cheryl, I invited you on the show today to discuss how CEOs and leaders of organizations can work collaboratively with PR and marketing teams to influence a company's brand and image. And I know we were able to work together for more than a decade. I don't even know how many years, probably 12, 13 years at Apex Learning, a long time, to very successfully support the PR efforts of the company. What do you believe is important for leaders to consider if they're looking to increase their impact with PR? I think that's a really good question. And I think it's important to start first with what is your goal? What is your marketing goal? And what role do you want PR to play in your overall marketing plan? For example, how you employ PR can change depending on the stage your company is at and who your audience is for your efforts. An early stage startup may want to use PR to create more awareness with prospective investors. I think PR can be instrumental in doing that, particularly with a small company. On the other hand, take a more mature established business that's introducing a new product into an adjacent segment of the market. In that case, the marketing priority might be to create awareness within the existing user base and also an expanded audience for the fact that this business now has another solution. What you do with PR is going to be very different in those two scenarios. And so I really do think if you're looking to make the most effective use of PR, you've got to start with the question, what's my goal? Second question, what role do I want PR to play? Perfect. I'm going to include those in the show notes. I love that, Cheryl. You touched on this a little bit, but throughout your experience working for various startups and growing companies, have you found that PR has been a significant contributor to the growth and brand building of those organizations? Absolutely. You know, I gave you an example about using PR to reach a user base or to expand your customer base. And while we have at Apex Learning in the time I was there and working with you, we did some of that. I actually think that the greatest opportunity you have as a business with PR is to establish your brand. Establish to begin with what your brand identity is and then to increase awareness for that brand. I think PR can be very valuable there at the thought leadership level and really providing that high-level image of the company. As I said, that's not the only thing you can do, but to your question, I absolutely believe that PR can play a significant role in establishing brand. And having a recognized brand across a wide audience and different types of audiences across investors, across an industry broadly, and with existing customers as well as prospective customers, having that brand identity is absolutely key to growth and will have significant impact on your ability to grow. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I'm glad you brought up the different audience segments because it's important to think how that brand is being communicated to all of those different channels. So that's a very good point. And during my years working in PR, one of the things I've realized is so important is to have not only access to a CEO, but to have a good working relationship with them. And if both of those elements are in place, it can really be magical. So if I'm able to understand exactly what a CEO wants to focus on, and I can take that knowledge and determine the most compelling way to share that message, that's when I can really be successful. 
What do you think are the key elements of a successful relationship when it comes to PR reps and their leadership teams? I think good relationships starts with a PR rep really getting an understanding of the goals and objectives. Going back to what I said in response to your first question, it all starts with clarity around goals and priorities and really engaging to understand what's behind those goals and priorities. How does a CEO and a leadership team think about how they're going to drive strategies and plans to achieve those goals? I think the more you understand about what's driving the organization, the more effective you can be. And also, the more you can understand about how a CEO and leadership team, and they can think differently about this, how they do think about the business. Because the context in which you're working really does make a difference. And I think the challenge when you're a PR rep coming from outside a company in is you don't have all of the same context that those who are in the business day in and day out have. And the more you can get inside the minds of those you're working with in the company, the more impact you're going to be able to have. Absolutely. Yeah, finding a way to really quickly understand exactly what that CEO wants to communicate is so important. I totally agree with that. One of the strategies you and I both agreed on when you were working at Apex was the importance of being proactive. And okay, so any company is going to face criticism. So we were always aligned in our goal of addressing that criticism early and proactively speaking with media to negate those issues. Is this a strategy that you'd recommend others replicate? And I'd love to understand more about why you believe this is so important, if you still do. Well, and it might be helpful if I gave an example. Do you think that would be helpful? Sure, that'd be great. Because I think what you're talking about is as you said, something that comes up in many businesses. And it definitely does come up in education situations where a school district has an issue that becomes public. And because you are a provider of a solution to that district that's associated with their issue, you as a business may also get some backlash from that. The example I'll use, which is one that was came up not uncommonly over the last several years for Apex Learning and others in the space, had to do with credit recovery and this notion that digital curriculum used in credit recovery programs resulted in what some school districts and some in the press referred to as credit mills, where students weren't really learning and just were rushing through courses. And it cast a lot of doubt on the use of digital curriculum for credit recovery. Now, while certainly there can be implementations that result in something like that, I think Apex Learning and the other providers in the space all really focused on providing solid solutions that where students were required to demonstrate real learning and where the outcomes were very real outcomes. But we, as you'll recall, I'm sure we had a number of cases where districts were made it into the press because of people in their community or elsewhere pushing back on what they were doing in credit recovery. And we made the decision to be very proactive in addressing that not being critical of the districts, of course, or their implementations. In most of the cases that this came up, in fact, the district's implementations were not in question. 
I think it was a question of a lack of understanding. And we took the approach that if we could be proactive and help to educate the media on what an efficacious credit recovery program looked like and the fact that the vast majority were really effective, that would make a difference. And yes, I do believe that was the right thing to do. It can be a fine line to walk. There's no question about it. I don't know that I would say in every situation where there's an issue that has the potential to have backlash of the business that you want to be proactive. But I'm a big believer in transparency and being very open and direct. And I think that transparency served Apex Learning well. And I think there's a downside, potentially, if you aren't transparent, it can come back to bite you when you least expect it and at the time you least want it to happen. And so we did take the approach of trying to get ahead of issues as often as possible. Mm-hmm. As you well know, because you were my partner in that. Yep. I know you sat in on many, many interviews and with the media where we talked about credit recovery. Yes. And to your credit, Cheryl, you danced that fine line so articulately. I mean, it is a challenge when you are in those situations and you don't want to be negative about your client, but you also want to stand up for the rigor of the companies and the curriculum, it's definitely a delicate dance and you are exceptional at it. So I want to give you credit for that. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yes, of course. So on another note, I'm very curious what you think about this. So there's many times when any of us, when we're working with marketing groups or leaders of our organizations where we disagree with a strategy or we don't believe in the same pursuit that we're going after, Do you have any suggestions about how we can approach leadership teams, even when we disagree? And how hard should we push on some of these issues if we have a disagreement? Well, again, another good question. I think in terms of disagreement and having other perspectives, the ability to be able to effectively communicate that starts with something we talked about earlier, which is having a good relationship with the team you're working with, the CEO and the leadership team. The better the relationship you have with those individuals, the easier it is going to be to provide opinions that don't align with what you're hearing from the people you're working with in the company. And it's like any other relationship. It's based on trust and having confidence in the people you're working with. I do think one of the great benefits of bringing PR reps in from outside the company is they do bring a different perspective or certainly have the potential to bring a different perspective. It is often too easy when you're in a company day in and day out, working with the same people on the same topics and issues day in and day out to get wed to your way of thinking about something. One of the benefits of bringing other people in is they can challenge you to think differently about things. And that can sometimes be difficult when somebody brings up a point that challenges your strategy or your plan in a way you hadn't anticipated. And I know that there were times when people on my own team and people like you, Sarah, brought me ideas that didn't align with the direction we were going. I'm guessing my initial reaction wasn't quite as open as I might have liked it to be because we were on a path. We were marching down a path. But I do like to think that I was open to new ideas and willing to listen because I always said, I don't have all the answers. 
I don't know everything. I can't possibly know everything. And if I did, then I wouldn't need all these people around me and it would all be very easy. But I think it's important to have teams and to have people who bring different perspectives because it's that collective view of things that brings together a lot of different opinion and expertise and knowledge and experience that gets you to a better answer in the end. Yes, I totally agree with that. And I think what you said first resonates with me. You can have a disagreement with someone, but if you have that foundation of an open communication and a strong relationship, then you can work through those disagreements or just new approaches. And it brings more dynamic aspect to the relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. I just think it's something we don't often talk about, but I think it's important to talk about that, especially when you're working with CEOs. And trust me, I've worked with many CEOs that are challenging. So it's nice to have this the foundation in place that you can really communicate with them and share your thoughts in an open way. Well, you know, just add to that, as a CEO, you have a lot of different responsibilities and you certainly have expertise in a number of different areas. But CEOs do come from different backgrounds. You've got CEOs of, let's take education, companies. You've got CEOs who are educators. You've got CEOs Mm -hmm. who have product development backgrounds. You've got CEOs who have marketing backgrounds. You've got CEOs who have sales backgrounds. And so you've got a wide variety of experience bases there. But the one thing I'm guessing almost no CEO was in their past life was a public relations expert. And I learned and always felt it was wise to trust experts, particularly in areas that I was not an expert. And PR was an area, while I had came from a marketing background, a product marketing background, I didn't have a lot of experience myself generating PR. And you want to, as I think as a CEO and as a marketing team, to be open to relying on the expertise of others. It's a question of how do you take that expertise and apply it to your situation? And that's where that partnership comes in between the public relations rep and the CEO and leadership team. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think that's the perfect segue into what I want to talk about next, which is as PR people or marketing people or whatever our role is, we need to have empathy for CEOs and the leaders of these companies because you are facing a lot of pressure and responsibility. And sometimes we can forget that. So I want you to put us in your shoes for a minute, Cheryl, and help us understand the demands you can face on a daily basis as a CEO. Are you an education leader, the leader of an ed tech company, or a member of an organization supporting education? We continue to hear from leaders like you who have a story to tell, a message to share, or an important initiative that needs greater awareness. Three years ago, that's exactly what we heard from Doug Roberts, the CEO of the Institute for Education Innovation, when he approached SWPR Group. This led to the launch of a groundbreaking new award that was unlike any other in ed tech. The Soup's Choice Awards, judged exclusively by K-12 superintendents, set IEI on a path to market dominance, increasing vendor partners and superintendent members by more than 30% year over year. Jamie Candy, the CEO of Edmentum, shared with SWPR Group the edtech company's desire to tell district success stories and to elevate the leaders behind their organization in a more thoughtful and strategic way. 
Throughout the past two years, SWPR Group has established consistent and regular media coverage, authored compelling op-eds, and secured interviews highlighting success stories while also inserting momentum into timely topics like AI with national reporters. At SWPR Group, we provide public relations, communication strategies, and thought leadership support for today's change makers and the brands they champion. We work together with our clients to bring their mission to life by consistently delivering high quality content, creative communication strategies, and transformational results. What story do you want to tell? Reach out to us using the link in the show notes or visit our website at swpr-group.com. I think the demands you face come in a variety of shapes and forms. You're dealing with managing the day-to-day or overseeing because you're not managing directly. You've got a team under you that's really managing all of the functional areas. But on a day-to-day basis, you want to ensure that things are staying on track, that product development is on track, that sales is on track, that customers are being well-served, that the numbers are what you want the numbers to be for the year to date and for the outlook ahead. There's a lot of really reviewing a lot of detail on a day-to-day basis. There's also the strategic portion of what you do, looking at the longer range strategy. And I think some of the challenges you have as a CEO is you're dividing your time between very large, big picture strategic issues, as well as that operational oversight of an entire organization. I think the opportunity, at least it was true for me, to think about things such as thought leadership and you know brand and identity, those were always, for me, among the most fun conversations because they weren't about the day-to-day of the company. It was an opportunity to think bigger and to think outside of... Really, to think outside of the company itself and look at the company from the perspective of the industry outside. I always enjoyed that. Yeah. Working on your company, not in your company. That's how I like to think about it. Oh, that's a great way to think about it. I never heard that. Yeah. It's tough when you're the CEO to do that and to find the time, but it's very important to step away and take that time. I have to say too, I did always enjoy, and I think you know this from the work we did together, I enjoyed talking to the media. Yeah. I even enjoyed the really challenging calls, like we talked about earlier, on topics like credit recovery. It was always interesting to me. And this is, goes to the point you just made. Those calls were always interesting to me because it was an opportunity to really hear what was going on outside the company and to hear perspectives. And also, I always thought about it also as an opportunity to help educate on our perspective. And to me, that was a fun part of my job as well. Yeah. No, you could tell you were very good at that. I always love putting you on calls with media because I know you would always nail it. Very fun. Well, thank you. Yes, absolutely. So this question is a bit off topic, but I want to ask you anyway, as a female CEO in a male-dominant technology industry, did you have any specific moments where you felt as though you were treated differently? Can you share anything? We've actually never even talked about this. So I'm very curious to hear your answer. Well, there's the specific question that you ask about as a CEO in a male-dominated industry. You know, the reality is the education space 
the education technology space is much more gender balanced than technology companies in general. Yeah. I started my career as a software engineer. And at the time I started my career, I was one of a very few, a handful of software engineers among hundreds of software engineers. I was one of the only women. And so I started my career working almost exclusively with men in what was really a male-dominated space. And in some ways, I think that it was a great place to start because the thing about software development is the outcome of what you create is very objective. Your code actually works or it doesn't. And so it's a very achievement-oriented space to be in. And I never felt an issue in that work, being a woman working among men. And as I moved into other roles, product marketing, product management, and even into executive roles in technology companies, I still always felt that the companies I worked in valued the results that were generated. And I personally didn't feel challenged being a woman in that space. Though I will say, I won't go into detail, there are two instances in my career, and these go way, way back, that where there were only two instances where I felt the fact that I was a female in a largely male environment made a difference. And I think I was very fortunate in that based on what I, you know, you hear from other women. I do think part of it was the industry I was in. I was in the technology industry. The technology industry, very focused on results and outcomes. And I tend to be an achievement-oriented individual. And so it was a good fit for me. It was when I went to work at Apple that I ended up in an organization that had a high percentage of women. Having always worked in technology companies where the number of women was a relatively low percentage, when I went to Apple and worked in the K-12 through division, I think almost 50% of that division was female. It was That to me was really a surprise because I'd never worked with that many women. It was really unusual for me. Yeah. But working in K-12, the companies I've been in since then have had a much higher representation of women than other technology companies. Though I will say it is interesting still, even when you look at educational technology companies, if you go into their product development organizations on the software development side, they are still predominantly male. That's still one of the things that I think is unfortunate because I think women can be just as good at that as men. I know it really is still an issue, but hopefully it is nice to see an education that's shifting. And I see more and more female CEOs of some of these large education technology companies, which is nice to see. Absolutely. Okay. So that's kind of in line with what I want to talk about now. Last month, I just concluded a series on bringing the entrepreneurial mindset to education. And this is a fascinating series where we interviewed individuals throughout the industry who believe that it's important to employ an entrepreneurial mindset in our work in education. And what I mean by this is applying characteristics like future planning, persistence, independence, passion, taking action, some of the characteristics of an entrepreneur and applying those to the work we're doing in education. And I think this is so important, particularly because in this industry, there's so many people who maybe were educators and then 
are now running companies. So giving them the tools to think like this. What is your perspective on this concept? That's an interesting topic. For me, I think that's the way I've always just naturally thought. Mm -hmm. And so it's never been a question for me. But you make a good point. When you have people coming out of the education system into companies, I think that there is a difference in the characteristics are to be successful within an established education system, our public school districts, versus what it takes to be successful as a business and where you've got to prove yourself in the market. You've got to deliver on time. Not that education doesn't have to deliver education, but when you look at what it takes in a business, you've got to deliver, you've got to be able to sell and in order to continue to do what you do. And you have to think differently about it because I like the way you put it. You need to bring that entrepreneurial mindset to what you're doing. So as I've always said, in order to get the opportunity for a company in education to continue to make a difference and have impact on education, you've got to be a successful business and you've got to understand what it takes to be a successful business. And it's only if you're a successful business that you get the opportunity to do good in education. And doing good in education and being a successful business aren't a contradiction. And I think sometimes it's hard for people who come from education to understand the imperative to be a successful business because it seems to go counter to what you want to do in terms of doing good for education. But I have always believed the two go hand in hand. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I'm really passionate about that idea. So I look forward to continuing to explore it on this show and just in my career. I think that's fascinating. And I know you've always brought that forward too at Apex. So I appreciate that. Well, I think when you grow up as I did in an industry that is rapidly changing, evolving industry, I think you do develop that entrepreneurial mindset if you choose to stay there. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sure you do. Yes, absolutely. But then it was my absolute delight to have found education by accident and have the opportunity to apply. I always said I had the opportunity to apply what were my core skills, which are business skills, to doing something that really made a difference. And I've been so fortunate in all of the education businesses I've been involved with that I think in all cases, we had a real impact on teaching and learning and supporting educators in their mission to be effective in teaching and supporting student learning. Oh, yes. I mean, the more clients I talk to, I know Apex has had an incredible impact. And even students, we've had a chance to talk to students on our podcast who are amazing. And it's been incredible to spend some time with people who are reaping the benefits of the curriculum. That's great to hear because ultimately it's about creating opportunities for students. Yep. That's what it's about. Well, Cheryl, do you have any final words of wisdom to leave with us on this topic or anything else at all? Well, I don't know that I have any, as you said, words of wisdom, but I would just end where I started actually, that when you're thinking about whether it's PR or marketing more broadly and how PR fits, it really is important to know what your objectives are and to stay focused. There are so many things that can distract us from what our priorities are. And I think the real keys are being clear about your goals and objectives and staying focused. And that would be where I'd end it, I guess. That's perfect way to end it. Full circle. And 
I would love for my listeners to be able to find you if they want to reach out. Is there a place they, they can go? Is LinkedIn a good spot? LinkedIn would be a great spot. That's exactly what I would suggest. They can find me on LinkedIn. Okay. I'll include a link to your profile in the show notes. But it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. I think this has been a very fascinating episode. And I like that we really dug in and asked some tough questions. And I think that it will uh, be helpful to people. So thank you, Cheryl. Well, it's great talking with you, Sarah. And I really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Okay. Well, take care. You too. And for all you Build Momentum podcast listeners, thanks so much for tuning in today. And don't forget to grab my free guide, mediatips.swpr-group.com. That's mediatips.swpr-group.com. Thanks so much again, and I will see you next time.